The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across me is the one, the only. Damn, girl, you're scary as shit. Tammy, the Sasquatch, Underwood. Thank God I got tranquilizer darts. Hi, everybody. And I'm not scary. I was just in the bathroom for like 15 minutes. You scared the shit out of me. <laughs> that wasn't it. But I'm uh, not scary. Ha- have I'm, you ever? I'm like so demure and people don't. Yeah, people aren't afraid of me. Have you ever seen the movie Poltergeist? <laughs> like everybody has. Where she spins her head. And... No, no, no. That's Exorcist. I feel like at the uh, towards the end of Poltergeist from Tangia. The, the psychic lady who comes to clear the house oh. gets it all cleared and they get Carol Ann back. I feel like after being in the bathroom right now that she should be here going, this place is clear now. <laughs> Do you remember? I think it was Poltergeist where that guy took the freaking uh, pasta scoop and fucking attacked his face in the mirror. Was that Poltergeist? No, I don't think it was. Maybe. It doesn't sound familiar. Oh, it was just, I, can't, I mean, I just have that image in my head, and I can't remember what movie it was from, but it was like, freaky. There's like three poltergeists, I think, maybe That's more. True. There's like two, three uh, poltergeists. And uh, like in the first one, um, I can never remember who the fucking main characters were, but uh, like he was drinking out of the bottle of tequila. Poltergeist had Drew Barrymore in it, didn't no, it? No, it didn't. No. No. Um, so the dude, the, the main character, uh, that's not the girl, was drinking out of a bottle of tequila, and then all of a sudden it focuses on the worm that's in the bottle. Oh, yeah, yeah, And it yeah. comes to life, then it possesses him. Okay. I think that was in one, or maybe that was two, maybe that was two. But I think that was in one. Uh, I just, I don't remember. They're, they all mesh together after a certain and, point. Like, either all the Freddy Kruegers mesh together. Well, just like they have the guy, the, the, the creepy preacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God is in his holy temple. Hello, little girl. Where's your mother and father? Are you scared, little girl? Are you lost, little girl? Why don't you come with me? Creepy-ass dude, right? Yeah. Of course, you know, they all fucking freak me out. Anyway. Yeah, we're we're finishing part two. We're finishing the second part of AJ Freund case, and this is where I get on my soapbox. Are you ready? I suppose. Okay, I know this case is just bizarre as fuck, but I'm going to get on my soapbox here in a minute. Now, once AJ was placed in foster care and his parents started complying with their court order treatment, there appeared to be a facade of normalcy. When Joanne gave birth to her third son in December of 2014, blood tests came back negative for drugs, so therefore he could remain in the custody of his parents. Approximately six months later, in June 2015, a family court judge ordered DCFS to return AJ to Joanne and Andrew Sr. Since his parents had complied with all their court mandates for 18 months, he felt it was in the best interest of the child to be placed back in the care of his parents. However, this case would remain open, and they would be monitored by the Youth Services Bureau, YBS, now, over the next 10 months, from June 13th to 2015 through April 13th, 2016, a social worker from YBS documented 17 unannounced visits to the family home on the following days. June 14th, 2015, July 1st, July 8th, July 22nd, August 5th, August 9th, August 27th, 
September 1st, September 29th, October 4th, October 26th, December 17th, and then in 2016, July 13th, I mean, January 13th, January 21st, February 2nd, February 25th, and March 11th. Well, these are complaints? No, these are all visits. Visits, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, besides the 17 unannounced visits, records indicate a social worker also conducted nine scheduled visits on, in, during those dates. In 2015, they were June 13th, June 17th, July 7th, July 20th, September 9th, November 12th, and December 3rd. And then in 2016, April 24th, I mean March 24th and April 13th. Now, here's where I'm going to get on my soapbox. As I was going over those dates, something struck me as odd. Granted, I have never had dealings with DCS, DCFS, so I may be off base. However, I know people who have dealt with them, and I don't recall them going through 26 unannounced and scheduled visits over twenty mo- over 10 months. Every DCFS department across the nation is overburdened with open cases. They don't have the staff to conduct an average of 2.6 home visits a month at the same address, mainly because each family is only assigned one caseworker. It's not as if they rotate the caseload. Then I did a little armchair detective work of myself. For myself, I got out a calendar of those months, and that's when things really weren't adding up for me. Let me explain. Then you can let me know if you think I'm off base with my assumptions. Now, going through the days of the week, I marked every scheduled and unannounced visit the social worker documented, and this is what I came up with. The first visit occurred on Saturday, June 13th, and it was scheduled. Four calendar days later, and each of these days is calendar days, not business days, okay? As I'm going through this. So four calendar days later, on Wednesday, June 17th, they had another scheduled visit. Then seven days later, on Wednesday, June 24th, an unannounced visit. That means three visits in June, two scheduled, one unannounced. Then exactly seven days later, on Wednesday, July 1st, there was an unannounced. Six days later... On Tuesday, July 7th, a scheduled. The very next day, on Wednesday, July 8th, they had an unannounced. Then 12 days later, on Monday, July 20th, a scheduled. And two days after that, on Wednesday, July 22nd, another unannounced. That's five visits in July, two scheduled, three unannounced. Okay? The next visit was 14 days later, on Wednesday, August 5th, unannounced. Four days after that, on Sunday... August 9th, unannounced. Then no more documented visits until 18 days later on Thursday, October, August 27th, un- unannounced. So three visits again, all three unannounced. Five days later on Tuesday, September 1st, unannounced. Eight days later, Wednesday, September 9th, scheduled. No visits again until 20 days later on Tuesday, September 29th, unannounced. So again, three visits, one scheduled, two unannounced. Then five days later on Sunday, October 4th, unannounced. No, nothing for 22 days until Monday, October 2nd, I mean 26th, unannounced. So two visits in October, both unannounced. Next visit, 17 days after that on Thursday, November 12th, scheduled. That's the only visit in November. Then no visits for 21 days until December 3rd, scheduled. And then 14 days later, Thursday, December 17th, unannounced. So one scheduled, one unannounced in December. Next visit was 27 days later on on Wednesday, January 13th, unannounced. Returned eight days later on Thursday, January 21st, unannounced. 
So both visits in January were unannounced. Then 12 days later, Tuesday, February 2nd, unannounced. 23 days later on Thursday, February 25th, unannounced. Then 15 days after that, Friday, March 11th, unannounced. Then 13 days later, Thursday, March 24th, scheduled. Then the last visit 20 days later on Wednesday, April 13th, scheduled. Now, after I had everything laid out in front of me on paper, one word came to mind about this documentation, and that is bullshit. Okay? Again, I've never dealt with DCFS, but they are a government agency, and I have never heard of them conducting visits on the weekend. Now, I might believe they would do them on a Saturday. However, would they do them on a Sunday? I think they would. You think so? Yeah, yeah. Because I've talked to some people who have actually had DCFS involvement, and they said no. So, I don't know. Hmm. I, I think it's different from state to state. Right. But that's not the only reason I'm not buying these were actual visits. The time between some visits don't add up to me, nor did the number of each type of visit in each month. Again, I might be completely off base. But... I mean, and if I am, then this caseworker is the most dedicated DCSF worker in the history of, well, history, to visit one family, a family one day, only to go back the next day or a couple days later or wait two or three weeks in between. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. Maybe she's getting her drugs from him. You know what? That could be too. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm playing. playing. I, it just read to me that they had to show documentation that they visited. And so they made it up afterwards. Is what I was reading, and that's probably what it is. But or, or could be, you know, we we don't know that this DCS agent, DFA, whatever the fuck it is, agent, isn't doing dope right alongside her. That's true. I've seen some sketchy shit. That's true. Now, all the caseworkers' reports for those visits state there were no visible signs. Either the children were being neglected or abused. After the last visit in April, a family court judge reviewed the case again. Since all the reports said Joanne and Andrew Sr. fully complied with their court-ordered mandates, AJ's case was officially closed. The family would no longer be subjected to DCSF supervision. On the surface, it appeared as if the system worked and the state could get the family the help they needed so they could get their lives back in order, which is what I think DCFS should be doing, right? Should be, but they don't. But they, and they didn't. Okay, in fact, for the next two years, everything seemed to be going well. I couldn't find anything to indicate any more complaints have been filed against Joanne or Andrew Sr., but that changed in March of 2018. On March 21st, 2018, DCFS got involved with the family again. Someone contacted them and filed allegations against the couple, citing substantial risk of physical injury, injurious environment, and environmental environment neglect. This call came from the hospital administration. According to the report, someone contacted the authorities when they found Joanne passed out in her car. And when the police and paramedics arrived on the scene, she was unresponsive, so they rushed her to the hospital. However, this next part isn't very clear. I couldn't determine if AJ was in the vehicle with her or not. All I know is he was at the hospital for some reason. There's a chance he was brought in by his father to visit his mother. But while he was there, hospital personnel noticed what they thought looked like old bruises on his face. They also felt the bruising was suspicious. So by law, they had to file a report because they're mandatory reporters. 
Reports indicated an investigator from DCFS attempted to contact Joanne and Andrew Sr. on three separate occasions, March 21st, March 29th, and April 9th of 2018, to schedule a visit to meet with the children. Apparently, all three attempts were unsuccessful. Then, approximately one month after the complaint was filed, on Wednesday, April 25th, an investigator with DCFS conducted a home visit with Joanne and her two youngest sons. According to their official report during the visit, the boys appeared to be clean and there were no visible signs indicating they were being mistreated. However, they said the case would remain open and someone would follow up. Now... I'm thinking that those three attempts were ignored so that the bruises could go away. That would make sense, yeah. Yeah. Now, a little over three weeks later, on Thursday, May 17th, another investigator conducted another home visit for a final safety assessment. The official report regarding that visit states the two boys were appropriately clothed and they appeared to be clean. They also didn't notice any visible signs of abuse, and they left saying they had to verify more information before they could give their final determination. The next day, on Friday, May 18th, the investigator officially verified Joanne was actively participating in her mandated drug treatment program. With that verification and the positive reviews from the home visits, they determined the complaint was unfounded and there was no cause to refer the case to juvenile court and it was officially closed. So again, another failure, right? So, now here's the red flags about the competency of the system. The next week, on Thursday, May 24th, 2018, Patrick Keneally, the state's attorney for McHenry County, wrote a formal letter to the senior director of operations at the DCFS Northern Northern Region Office, and her name is Carol Ruzix. He wanted to document his concerns about the practices of caseworkers in her department. In the letter, he cited three specific cases where DCFS staff members were negligent in how they handled the investigations or weren't cooperative with relaying their findings. I found a copy of this letter, and portions of it are redacted to protect identities. However, it clearly sent up red flags about the competency of the system being followed by McHenry County DCFS staff. I want to share that letter with you. I'm going to read it in its entirety, because it will give you a clear picture of what was happening. Keep in mind, this letter was written approximately one year before the tragic incident involving A.J. Fern took place, and it didn't have anything to do with A.J., but here's what it said. Dear Miss Ruzix, I'm writing to express my concerns over shortcomings we have encountered while working with DCFS in McHenry County. While normally reticent to write letters of this type, our office has attempted over the last several months to express our concerns directly to DCFS staff. These efforts have been unsuccessful, and we believe DCFS administration has not been sufficiently responsive. Below are a few cases that illustrate our ongoing concerns. Now, in 2016, then redacted, indicated the A sequence, because apparently there's a certain sequence they have to follow, is what I got from this letter. Indicated the A sequence in this con- in his contact note, redacted, reported that the 11-year-old of redacted provided a credible statement that Redacted was using heroin in the home. Now, Redacted concluded without any input from our office that there was not sufficient evidence to warrant more aggressive action. As such, nothing was done. 
The B sequence was not indicated and no referral was made. The C sequence on Redacted 2018 was indicated after DCFS learned that two of Redacted children had discovered heroin and needles in the home. However, and again, no referral was made to the state's attorney office, attorney's office. Um, <clears throat> then Redacted 2018 Redacted Infant Overdose on Heroin he found in the home while in the presence of Redacted and the infant's father. The infant was revived after four Narcan shots and stabilized in the hospital after receiving a Narcan drip. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of fucking Narcan. I got it. For admit. an infant. Jeez. So how much heroin did this infant ingest? A fucking lot. Yeah, I'm surprised that infant did not die. It's Superman of now, kids right there. Now Fuck another me. case. It says redacted. In this case, and I think that's the case number is redacted. Oh, okay. In this case, the defendant was charged with child endangerment after he was involved in a road rage incident with his son in the car. According to the report, redacted interviewed the child regarding the incident. This one's going to piss you off. The child indicated that his dad was driving the car, pulled out a gun, and pointed it at the car next to them. The father was charged with aggravated assault pursuant to, you know, the state, you know, and the state filed a motion. In the criminal case to introduce statements made by the child to redacted. A hearing on the state's motion, which would require redacted, and that's DCFS worker, by the way. They just don't name them. Right, right, right. right. To briefly testify was set. When the assistant state's attorneys handling the case attempted to reach out to redacted for scheduling purpose, redacted insisted the child's statement clearly set forth in her report was not her report. Redacted then stated that she never spoke to the child. After the assistant state's attorney read her the report, she th- she said that she was just covering for someone else that day. And to paraphrase, she said, and I quote, this is what she gets for doing someone a favor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. So she's lying. Exactly. She's lying so, thing. That's fucking, that's awesome. That's right. DCS, so redacted, a supervisor in my office, contacted DCFS on this matter and was ensured of redacted's cooperation. Prior to the hearing, Redacted was again contacted about her appearance for the hearing and told that this, check this out, I'm going to quote again, and pissing you off, that she, and told the state's attorney handling the case she would be unavailable that day to, due to the fact that she would be, quote, washing her hair. Wow. Yeah. We were forced to subpoena Redacted for the hearing on February 23rd, 2018. At the hearing, Redacted maintained a hostile attitude toward the assistant state's attorney and lamented the fact that she had to testify, quote, on someone else's case. Her lack of preparation was evidenced by the fact that at the hearing, she could not answer simple questions about what the child said to her, where the conversation with the child took place, or who else was present for that conversation. Right? Okay. <laughs> you're told Christ. that you have a hearing set forth at a future date, and you're saying, oh, I can't be there. I got to wash my hair. Are you fucking kidding me? See, the, on a the, child this is abuse my case? This is my problem with DCS coast to coast, because I've talked to other people about this shit. There's no accountability. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. If a, D, if a DCS worker fucks up, and I'm going to use myself as an example later on and, and explain that, there's no accountability. Like, nobody is sitting there going, hey, you know, there's going to be charges filed against you because you did this and this. Yeah. You know, matter of fact, I think I'm going to give that example right now. Yeah. Well, and I have another case to go through in the letter, but go ahead. So, as I've said before, my son's been in the foster care system. Okay. And I can hear you puffing over the right I'm sorry. goddamn thing. Sorry. I tried to turn my head. Just I apologize. Christ. 
Anywho's, he was with several, uh, like three, three or four different uh, foster homes. And the, the reason for it is I'm not beating the shit out of my kid. I spanked my kid with a paddle, which you're allowed to spank your kids in Washington, except you can't use a weapon. Yeah, you can do it in Oregon, too. And I left a, a bruise above his, his waistline. Um, but, uh, and honestly, for me, it was the best thing that could have ever happened because it got me into anger management. But. Right. So, anywho's, they put him with this, this lady who's fucking blind. Okay. And she's old as shit, right? Right, right. She's got dogs pissing everywhere, can't keep an eye on him. And she goes, oh, nope, it's too much for me. So then the, the caseworker goes, we're going to put him with this lady here. And she's she specializes in uh, uh, like people like Jake who, who have you know learning, Asperger's, yeah. learning disabilities. Perfect fit, da-da-da-da-da. She couldn't handle it. Okay. And then puts him with another one. That they couldn't handle it either. Uh, There was just a bunch of shady shit going on. Because what they wanted to do, because, and I I was actually told this by the caseworker. Let me quote this verbatim. I don't think that a single father should have custody of their child. What? That is what, and her name is Kathy Hammersley from here in Clark County. I will call her out right now. Call her out. Because that's exactly what she said verbatim. Them. I'm sorry. Sometimes single fathers are the best place for their child because being with the mother isn't. Well, yeah, and keeping in mind, Jake's mom, fucking, she got him. ghost. Yeah, she you abandoned know? him. She did that when he was a teenager too. You know, like, hey, I'm going to show that that I'm a good mom, so I can be with this guy, and then got ghost again. But that's exactly because they wanted to adopt him out because that's how they make their money, mm-hmm. and because there was nothing they could do to. Make money off of me. Be- being that they couldn't get funds to get me into a rehab program, I didn't do drugs. Right. They couldn't get me into fu- uh, a rehab program for alcohol because I drink, but I don't drink very heavily. I'm not a drunk. It's not affecting anything. I, you know, I don't. I don't drink heavily. Um, right. You're still able to function. Yeah. Um, so they, they they couldn't make any money. So how do they make money? They want to adopt them out, and, uh, and and through the whole process, I mean, even stupid shit. Going as far as I missed a court appearance that I wasn't required to be at. Okay. Was not required to be there. What I didn't know was that my mom and stepdad had come up because we'd already come up with a plan that, that they're going to take Jake, right? I legit forgot. I get a call going, well, you weren't in court today. I said, well, okay. Sorry, man. I, I legit forgot. You know? Well, I have it on good authority that your truck actually broke down, so why are you lying to me? I said, why the hell would I lie to you about it? Number one, I wasn't required. Number two, I legitimately forgot. My truck breaking down is a way better excuse. Yeah. Way better. And she stuck to her guns. It was, it, it was all about trying to kind of, you know, put me down and all that stuff there. It had nothing to do with help. It had, it had to do everything with trying to discredit me as much as they could, so that way they could adopt him out. To a family that, that 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 he was staying with at the time, that honestly were not qualified. But you know, you know how much accountability they had for that? Zero. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, you know. And so this other one is another redacted case number. DCFS responded to the family home after the redacted death of the three of a three year old child. Redacted took custody of the redacted surviving children. The youngest child was one year old and the oldest child was 14 years old. I was able to determine through the rest of the letter that the third child was another three year old. Okay. 
At the time the children were moved from the home, no diapers or clothing were obtained for any of the children. Lovely. When the children arrived at the Child Advocacy Center, CAC, the three-year-old did not have shoes. While at the CAC, Redacted refused to change the one-year-old's diaper, and one of the CAC staff had to do so. Prior to the interviews, Redacted refused to sign consents to have the children interviewed, and Redacted had to sign the consents. Further, when it was time for the kids to leave, Redacted refused to pick up the three-year-old to carry her to the car since there had been previous reports of bedbugs in the home and made her walk across the parking lot in her socks while Redacted carried the one-year-old. Okay, I'm sorry. That's abuse in itself. It is, but there's, not, there, there's no accountability for it. Exactly. Absolutely none. They get to walk free. Right. Now, Redacted's reasonable efforts to report did not include any of the necessary facts to support probable cause and no facts in support of reasonable efforts. When Redacted and Redacted were contacted by the assistant state's attorney handling the case regarding the insufficient report, Redacted responded, and to paraphrase, that he did not work over the weekend. Further, when questioned about not personally going to inspect the home for his report, he stated it was a crime scene. However, when questioned if he asked law enforcement if he could po- it would be possible to enter the home, he said he never did it as well. He never did as it would have been the weekend. So, I didn't do it. I wasn't working. <laughs> it is our goal to facilitate a dialogue with the DCFS to improve the manner in which these in which cases are investigated and prosecuted. I look forward to your response and how it's how this can be more productively how this can more productively occur than he provides contact information. Sincerely, Pat Kennelly. Now, I need to pause for a moment and take a deep breath. I experienced a wide range of emotions when I read this letter. Keep in mind, there wasn't any mention of AJ and his family. However, it's obvious there was a major problem in the procedures and conduct at DCFS in McHenry County. It was only a matter of time before something tragic happened. Unfortunately, young defenseless five-year-old AJ Foreign had to pay the ultimate price. That being said, I also gleaned something further from this letter. There is very strong possibility some, if not most, of the home visits reports I documented above were fabricated to cover someone's ass. I believe it. If that's the case, they should have taken the time to make their records more believable. Let me be clear. I have no proof any of the DCFF reports were fabricated. I'm not officially accusing anyone specifically of blatant misconduct. I am. I'm just saying two plus two in this case adds up to bullshit. No, I, I am because you got to look at the history, man. If all of your peers are doing that, there's a 99%. Maybe, may, maybe they're not. Okay. Maybe this caseworker didn't. But to me, that just sounds like a whole caseload of fucking bullshit. Laziness. It is. It's, it's being complacent. It's being fucking lazy. Right. Okay, now, seven short months later, on December 18, 2018, DC, DCFS received a call on their hotline. The f- report filed allegations of environmental neglect toward both AJ and his younger brother. However, it went further and stated AJ had visible welts, bruises, and cuts. It was obvious the situation had gotten dramatically worse. Apparently, Lorelai called the cops on her daughter, Joanne. When the authorities arrived, they noticed AJ had an enormous bruise on his hip. In the house, they noticed sections of the ceiling were falling down, the carpet and tile on the floor were torn up, and there was a strong odor thought to be dog urine in the boy's bedroom. 
The officers arrested Joanne and charged her with driving while suspended. Then they called a social worker and placed AJ and his brother in protective custody and transported them to Crystal Lake Police Department until they could determine how to proceed. Now, once the children were at the station and an investigator from DCFS came and interviewed them about what was happening at home. First, they tried talking to AJ's four-year-old brother. However, no matter what the investigator did or said to engage the child, he wouldn't say a word. They did note that he did appear well cared for and healthy. Next, the investigator talked to AJ alone. When he was asked how he got the bruise on his hip, he said it happened when the dog pawed at him, but he wouldn't say anything else. Finally, the DCSF investigator questioned Joanne, and when she was asked about the condition of the home, she said the ceiling and floor were torn up because she and Andrew Sr. were remodeling the house. However, she admitted there might be dog feces and urine inside the home, and it was possible there were some in the boy's bedroom. Since Joanne's charges were minor, a bail was set. Andrew Sr. quickly posted it, and Joanne was released. After talking to the children and Joanne, the DCFS investigator determined it was safe for the children to return home with their parents. They said they would lift the protective custody order after AJ was evaluated by a medical professional. Joanne and Andrew Sr. agreed to the terms and she even asked the authorities to do a drug test on her. I don't know if they ran the test or not. I do know, but I do know that AJ's brother could leave the station with his parents that night while AJ was taken to immediate care. Now, let me pause again. Joanne and Andrew Sr. left the station with AJ's little brother and went to the hospital to wait for AJ to be seen by a doctor. According to reports, the physician in the emergency department couldn't definitively state how AJ received the bruise. His chart note stated it could have been caused by being hit with a football, pawed by an overzealous dog, or being struck with a belt. Now, let me pause for a moment, only because I have a question. However, before I ask my question, I need to say something. In junior and senior high, I was athletic. I played volleyball and softball. I was a star in the track team. I was raised around boys and considered myself a tomboy. I had been hit with a softball, baseball, and football. Heck, there was one time in track practice when I wasn't paying attention. I walked in front of the path of a flying discus, and it hit me in the arm. There was one time during a wrestling match, I got hit with a goofball. <laughs> no, trust me. It I did got not... ting bag, man. His singlet wasn't on right. <laughs> You're so terrible. It's terrible. No, trust me. It did not feel pleasant, and it left a nasty bruise. No, so did the goofball. His ting bag was on the side of my head for like a week. It was terrible. I've also had a Sweaty lot of... Sweaty nuts and oh fucking teenage pubic hair. <laughs> No, God, you put images in my head that don't need to be there. I've also had a lot of dogs throughout my life. All of them varied in size, stature, and temperament. I've horse played with those dogs and been accidentally injured with playing with them. It wasn't very long ago when my giant shepherd husky mix, Ghost, who weighs over 100 pounds, accidentally smacked me in the face with his paw while we were cuddling. I'll admit when it happened, it hurt. But here's the thing. Everyone needs to know about dogs. Unless a dog is trained to be aggressive, it's not in their nature to harm anyone. In fact, their instinct is to protect their people. Yes, they will play and sometimes accidents happen, especially since they are the equivalent of a large child. When those accidents occur, someone can get hurt. 
keep in mind, I'm a big girl and I've wrestled with some big dogs. But I have never received a large bruise from them pawing at me. Mainly because even when they roughhouse, there's not a lot of force behind their paw swings. Finally, I've also been beaten with a belt. I have had welts and bruises up and down my body from getting my ass whipped with a belt. So now you know I have received injuries from all three of these potential causes of AJ's bruise. I know bruises caused by each of them are completely different. In other words, a bruise from being hit with a football does not look like a bruise caused by being pawed at by a dog. Also, neither of those look anything like the bruises I had after being struck with a belt. Let me be clear. I'm not saying the doctor was incompetent or negligent in his assessment. All I'm saying is that each type of injury leaves a distinct type of bruising. Therefore, I don't know how they could be confused with each other. Now, here's my first question. Well, my first questions. Do you think the doctor downplayed the injury? If so, why? Could have been a friend of the DC uh, of the of the protective services worker person. Oh, well, that could be. And as far as dogs and what have not. Speaking of that, you still haven't brought me to Asian girls. I'm just saying. And you know, what does it have to do with? Never mind. Well, the, I know the pet store knows what I mean when I say I need a cage for a big dog. <laughs> for you. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just kidding. My Asians can roam, roam freely in the backyard as long as they're chipped. Yeah, they're, they're going to be chipped and collared, but uh, yeah, it's for their safety. It's for their safety. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, perhaps this will help you answer the question better. The doctor did note he had a concern the injury wasn't an accident after J- AJ made a statement during the examination. According to reports, while the doctor was examining AJ's injuries, the child said, maybe someone hit me with a belt. Maybe mommy didn't mean to hurt me. Hello, people. The child literally just told them what happened the only way he knew how, without saying, my mommy beat me. Correct. Okay. Despite the doctor's notes and obvious concerns about what AJ said to him, the DCFS investigator felt it was safe for him to go home with his parents. But wait, he stipulated that Andrew Sr. had to stay at the house with Joanne and the children, quote, just to be safe. Now, here's my next question. Do you think the DCFS investigator purposely overlooked the doctor's concerns so they didn't want want to deal with the hassle and or headache of following through with a full investigation? Fuck yeah, man. They want to get paid for just sitting on their ass and doing nothing. That's exactly what I think it is. I don't think it had so much to do with the doctor as much as it did with that DCFS investigator. Now, here's the ultimate failure in this case. After releasing the children back into the custody of their parents on December 19, 2018, a DCFS investigator conducted a surprise home visit. According to their report, they noticed piles of clothes and toys on the floor of the dining room and living room. Although the kitchen tile was torn up, it appeared to be clean. The investigator noted there weren't any visible evidence the ceiling was falling down. They also said they detected a slight odor of animal urine, but it wasn't overpowering. They found no visible evidence of dog feces or urine on the floors of the home. When the investigator interviewed Andrew Sr., he said he and jo- a- Joanne picked AJ up from the hospital the night before after he was evaluated by a physician. However, he also stated he and Joanne had never subjected their young children to corporal punishment. He also claimed Joanne had not been using drugs recently. After the investigator talked to Andrew Sr., they left. That's when I think the system ultimately failed AJ in this case. They left and said they had a couple more people to speak with before they filed their report. 
On December 20th, the current DCFS investigator claimed they spoke with the previous investigator about the past allegations against Joanne and Andrew Sr. And their determination, and they made a determination on the findings. I tried everything I could think of to find any notes or reports about that alleged conversation and came up empty. All I know is this. On January 4, 2019, the current DCFS investigators submitted their findings, and according to the reports, they didn't find enough evidence to substantiate the allegations of abuse. There was no proof AJ had any bruises, cuts, or welts resulting from being hit by his parents, and they officially closed the case, deeming it unfounded. Again. Christ. Now... Where's AJ? On April 18, 2018, at approximately 6.30 in the morning, Andrew Sr. left the house for a doctor's appointment. He had in Elgin at a rehab clinic. A few hours later, around 9 a.m., he called the authorities and reported AJ missing. When law enforcement officials arrived on the scene, they found the home was in a state of neglect. Rotting food was lying all over the house. Soiled clothing and garbage were strewn all over the floor, and the floors were ripped up. They immediately placed a call to DCFS to file a report alleging inadequate supervision of the minor children and environmental neglect. Then AJ's little brother was taken to the station until they could determine a course of action. An investigator with DCFS went to the Crystal Lake PD, spoke with the officers, and filed a complaint. After that, they placed AJ's little brother in protective custody and was placed in the care of a licensed foster home. He was also taken to the hospital to be examined by a medical professional, and according to the reports, the physician noted he appeared to be healthy and there wasn't any visible evidence of neglect and or abuse. Approximately one hour after handling AJ's little brother over to DCFS, the authorities returned to the house, this time to execute a search warrant. For the rest of the day and into the early evening hours, they took box after box, bag after bag full of items from the house out to a mobile evidence response unit. Law enforcement officials released a statement to the public the next day, which would have given the community a clue about the direction the case was headed. Apparently, they took a canine team over to the house and the dogs only alerted to AJ's scent inside the house. Therefore, there was no sign the child had left the premises on foot. They... Uh, they also said they had no reason to believe he'd been abducted. In other words, they were, quote, focusing their investigation on the residents. When Joanne's attorney, George Kalilis, addressed the media, he said, quote, at some point we got the impression that she may be considered a suspect. I don't know whether she is or not. Then he told the community they, quote, should not assume the worst. Okay, whatever. Andrew Sr. had spent the better part of Friday afternoon walking around the neighborhood. He told anyone who would listen, please pray for his safe return. Anybody that's religious or believes in God, please say a prayer. According to official statements, Joanne and Andrew Sr. hadn't seen AJ since the previous Wednesday night at approximately 9 p.m. They said they put him to bed, and when they woke up the next morning, they couldn't find him anywhere, so they reported him missing. Once the authorities responded to the call, the Crystal Lake PD activated something referred to as the Illinois Law Enforcement Alarm System. And this system is this is a system the police employ that calls in surrounding law enforcement agencies to aid their efforts. By Thursday afternoon, 15 police agencies had joined the search for AJ. Holy shit. Yeah. they on about that. Yeah. They were using four drones to get an aerial view of the neighborhood. There was even a dive team using sonar to search the lake nearby. That team was out until approximately 10 p.m. and they found nothing. Investigators also asked neighbors to search their property for anything suspicious. Now, on Friday, while the authorities were searching for AJ and, and the, at the house, 
An investigator met with AJ's little brother at the McHenry County Child Advocacy Center. The four-year-old claimed Joanne and Andrew Sr. told him the day before not to talk about his older brother. He said Joanne told him, and I quote, AJ has fallen down the stairs and has a lot of owies. Oh, Jesus Christ. To his little brother. That's... This is just getting more and more fucked up. Isn't it? Jesus Christ, man. Now, on Saturday, April 20th, the community held a candlelight vigil for AJ at Main Beach. Joanne and Andrew Sr. attended and thanked everyone for their support. And from people from all of the community continued to search for the little boy for the next four days. On Wednesday, April 24th, the day after the couple appeared in court to determine where AJ's little brother would be housed, Andrew finally told the investigators what really happened to AJ. He also took them to the location... I'm going to start crying. He also took them to the location near the ComEd transmission towers in Woodstock to show them where they could find the boy's remains. Andrew Sr. had wrapped the boy in plastic and buried him in a shallow grave. He and Joanne were arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Now, here's what happened to AJ. This is where I'm going to cry. Well, get your shit together. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Like, I'm not trying to be harsh or anything no. like that, but we, we cry too much on this damn show when it comes to kids. I'm trying to keep myself rigid. I know. But according to reports, a little a little over a month after DCF closed their case on the environmental neglect case, the bank foreclosed on Joanne's house. It was sold at auction on February 22nd, 2019. Despite that, she and Andrew Sr. continued to live there. Court records indicate that a couple weeks later, on March 4th, Joanne supposedly took a disturbing video of AJ. In the video, AJ is naked, lying in a crib. In the in that video, also, AJ. Oh, I wrote it twice. Um, hang on. Um, he had bandages on his hips and wrists. Mm, hang on, I gotta fix this, otherwise I'll go crazy. And his eyes were covered with an ice pack. It was clear that his little body was covered in bruises. There were dark marks all over his eyes, chest, and neck. Joanne could be heard in the video screaming at him for wetting his bed. Three days before Andrew Sr. reported AJ missing on April 14th, things in the house escalated dramatically. Reports claim sometime during the day, AJ either peed or defecated in his underwear and lied about it. To punish him for lying, Joanne and Andrew Sr. placed him in a cold shower and forced him to stand under the freezing water for 20 minutes. Afterward, while he was still wet and cold, they made him go to bed naked. According to Andrew Sr., that was one of Joanne's less severe punishments. He said he had told her to stop, quote, hard physical beatings. However, records indicate AJ was beaten to death. Jesus. Yeah. Fuck. At approximately 3.17 a.m. on April 15th, somebody in the house used Andrew Sr.'s cell phone and Googled child CPR. He told the authorities around that time, Joanne checked on AJ and he was unresponsive. Rather than call 911 and get him medical attention, they let him die. Later that morning, Andrew Sr. carried his son's lifeless body down to the basement, put him in an empty tote, which he hid until he could figure out what to do next. Two days later, on April 17th, at approximately 9 p.m., Andrew Sr. went to the store to buy supplies. A receipt of the purchase indicated he bought plastic gloves, duct tape, bleach, and air freshener. Once he returned home, he wrapped AJ's remains in plastic garbage bags, placed them in the trunk of his vehicle, then drove out to the transmission towers and buried it. It's unclear which parent cleaned the crime scene, but it was gone by the time they called the police the next morning. When Joanne and Andrew Sr. were arrested, the police returned to the house and seized even more evidence. Among the items removed, there's a toddler-sized mattress, a shovel, a large plastic tub or tote, and several large lawn-sized 
plastic bags. In a sick twist, at the time Joanne and Andrew Sr. killed AJ, she was pregnant with her fourth child. She gave birth to her only daughter on May 31st, 2019, in jail. Now, Andrew Sr. and Joanne officially pled not guilty to all their charges on May 10th, 2019, and a judge ordered both of them to undergo psychiatric evaluation on June 18th. They both maintained their innocence. In fact, on September 26th, 2019, Joanne was interviewed in jail by a CBS affiliate. In that interview, she said, quote, I would rather kill myself than hurt my family. Bitch, do it. Yeah, that's... Uh Seriously, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm over I, here just trying to stay rigid, but yeah, I'm getting I don't advocate up. suicide, but you know what? Bitch, do it. Or, you know what? Let me into the prison. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm much like Todd. I don't believe in hurting women, but I'll tell you what. You're, you're, you were brave enough to beat the fuck out of your five-year-old. Yeah. Take me on, you cunt. Yeah. Like, Take on somebody your own size, bitch. Take me on. Let's find out how much fucking fun we, ha- we can have, because while I said it before, I pride myself on being a peaceful man. I will rip her the fuck apart. Me too. Me too. I would do it to anybody who hurts a fucking child. Yeah, and this child was defenseless. You know what? If he is peeing his pants and or defecating in his pants and lying about it, it's because he's scared. Right. Something says he is scared. I mean, it it happened to Jake. You know, like uh, fucking, he was on uh, one of the trucks that I owned, and uh, we were in Tennessee. Right. And he's he's napping, and I, I knew that he wanted some McDonald's for lunch. That's cool. And I'm not big on McDonald's; it's just gross. But so I'm on the fuel island. It's empty. I run inside. I get some McDonald's. I'm gone for like five freaking minutes. And he'd been in the truck by himself. He knew he had toys and shit like that. Right. <clears throat> and uh, I came back, and he's crying. Buddy, what's wrong? He had pooped himself and peed himself. Yeah. And you know he's crying. I'm like, dude, bud, bud, it's okay. Come on, let's, let's clean you up. Let's get you cleaned up. The story actually has some funny shit to it, so I'm going to give some levity to this, so just bear with me. So, I go and I find a parking spot, because I was on the fuel line. I don't, I'm not going to block up the fuel line. We were in just outside of Knoxville. And I take him inside with you know some new clothes and everything like that, and I go and I, I, I throw his underwear away. Right. And I get some, some wet paper towels. Now people are filing into the bathroom, and him and I are in the stall. I'm getting him cleaned up. That's when he goes like this. Daddy! <laughs> It's amazing how him and my daughter sound the same. I know, right? Thanks for throwing away my underwear. I'm, oh, that's great. Thank you. Okay, Jake, sh- just chill, okay? Let's just get you all cleaned up. Then we're doing our thing, right? Daddy! Thanks for wiping my butt! <laughs> Jesus Christ, kid, come on. We already got to do the walk of shame. Will you fucking give me a break for fuck's sakes? But yeah, there was no like fucking beating the fuck out of my kid. I mean, it, kids do that. Yes. It, it just fucking happens. Yes, that's true. Adults do that. Tell me tell me if there's anybody out there who, as an adult, at one time you have not shit your pants at least once. <laughs> like, seriously, like, seriously. Yeah. Like, you could be sick. Yeah, that's true. There could be stuff that's happening. You could you could, you could be driving somewhere and say, oh, my God, I got to go to the bathroom but can't find an exit right away. Yeah, shit happens. Yeah. Shit, shit literally happens. Yeah, you know, it, it, it just freaking happens. And to beat the shit out of your kid for that. Yeah. Is, or well, get the, them to the point where they're scared that they have to lie about it. Right. Well, to beat the shit out of your kid to begin with. Right. Like, I'm all for spare the rod, spoil the job. Okay? I'm all for spanking a kid's ass because... Oh, yeah. Some Every kid needs a swat. And I'm not saying beat your kid. I'm saying no. a nice little swat across the ass is an attention Especially better. in their diaper. It's not going to fucking hurt them, but it'll scare them. Oh, yeah. That loud pop. Oh, yeah. That loud pop will get them every time. A fucking attention getter. But, you know... 
kids are going to do things. Like, kids are going to get into things. They're going to break some of your shit. They're going to shit their pants. They're going to piss themselves. It's just going to happen, man. Chill the fuck out on your kids, you fucktards. Right. Okay, I'm done. Okay, then a little over two months later, after she said she would rather kill herself than hurt her family, on December 5th, Joanne appeared in court and changed her plea. She pled guilty to first-degree murder, and on July 17, 2020, she she was given a 35-year prison sentence. Bitch deserved the death penalty. That's all I'm saying. I agree. Now, approximately two years after receiving her sentence, Joanne filed a pro se post-conviction petition with the court. According to court records, she claimed that before she murdered her five-year-old son, she was suffering from postpartum psychosis. In fact, she claimed she had been seeing demons and hearing voices. Therefore, her actions were influenced by her psychosis. She further claimed that before she and Andrew Sr. killed AJ, she consulted a priest and asked him to perform an exorcism on her and the five-year-old because she felt they were both possessed. Now, Joanne's petition stated her constitutional rights afforded under the 6th, 8th, and 14th Amendments were violated, and she was seeking relief under the Post-Conviction Act. The the official document states the following to support her claim. First, ineffectual representation by her court-appointed counsel. Joanne says they refused to call witnesses to testify on her behalf, nor was she allowed to take the stand in her own defense. She said she was never read her Miranda rights, when she was arrested or at any time before she was questioned, when she told her attorney this, they didn't pursue the matter. According to her, she can, quote, read and write, but was illiterate to the statutes and of the law and her constitutional rights. Right? Horse shit, but continue, please. Yes. Then she cited right, her rights under the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, which protect against cruel and unusual punishment, were violated. To support this claim, she stated she was given an excessive sentence due to long-term usage of psych medications while pregnant. While she was pregnant and housed in county jail, she was prescribed psychiatric medications, but she claimed she wasn't monitored regularly for any side effects. Then she stated her rights under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which guarantees due process and equal protection under the law, were violated. In support, she states the psych meds she was prescribed caused a hormonal imbalance. While taking the meds, she was only monitored once a month by a psychiatrist, and she should have had a weekly evaluation since she was pregnant. Joanne also claimed her rights were further violated because she wasn't placed on suicide watch status until after she gave birth to her daughter. She said since she was suffering from postpartum depression and psychosis, she should have been placed on suicide watch status as soon as she was booked in the county jail. Now, Judge Robert Wilbrandt reviewed Joanne's claims um, on June 1st, 2022 and disputed many of them. He said she didn't have her constitutional rights violated. Therefore, he dismissed her petition. Good. Now, the latest report I read said she was seeking the help of counsel to file another appeal. Now, Andrew Sr. was originally charged with first-degree murder, to which he pled not guilty on May 10th, 2019. Then on September 18th, 2020, he appeared in court and pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter, aggravated battery of a child, and concealment of a homicidal death. The judge sentenced him to 30 years in prison. On January 21st, 2021, the Illinois Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission officially disbarred him because of the felony convictions. Now, that's all I have typed up, but I'm going to reiterate. This was a complete system failure. AJ did not have to die. I agree. Now, I, agree. I do know that some of the DCFS workers, <laughs> DCFS workers involved in this case have been disciplined and lost their jobs. Good. Get rid of the whole 
fucking unit and hire more people. Yeah, hire your job people who enough. want to do their fucking job, who want to protect these children. Losing your job, though, in this case is not enough. No, they, they were sh- responsible for a fucking murder. There should yeah. be criminal charges. Exactly. They should at least have manslaughter charges. <laughs> you know, because manslaughter is death with, you know, without premeditation. Right, right. Sorry, man. My fucking oh, allergies are you're killing fine. me. I haven't even taken my allergy pills yet. But, yeah. Because manslaughter is death without premeditation or, you know, or involuntary manslaughter, which means there was no direct involvement. You know what I mean? No, no, I, I know what that so, is. But, yeah, the, the, yeah there no. should be criminal charges yes. for the, the, the people that were, that, that were in charge of protecting. Exactly. There should be criminal charges. And I believe that across the board. If you're in a position of power, like, let's say, okay, let's go with cops, okay? Yeah. Because I've seen some great cops out there that are fan-fucking-tastic. But, but we've seen some shady-ass ones, too. I think that if you're a cop and you get caught doing anything shady. Oh, yeah. I, for example, if you get caught speeding, I think that your ticket should be twice the amount of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're in charge of enforcing the laws. You should be held to a higher standard. So, and if you get I caught agree. using drugs as a cop, illegal yep. drugs, the punishment should be twice as much of anybody else. Right. Because you already know the law. This isn't a mystery to you, okay? Right. Um, and you should be held to that higher standard. Right. And it should be the same for these assholes. You know, just like my fine doubles in a school zone, <laughs> your fine should double because you, you fucking know the law. And right. And you're violating it anyways. Right. You're you're violating the same you're laws choosing that you, to violate, yes. you swore to uphold, and you're mm-hmm. violating it. And the same way with these DCS workers, you you're, you should be held to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. There should be a felony conviction yes. on each and every single one of them that exactly. was involved with some serious prison time. Because think about it. Okay, let's say you work for CPS, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know that if, if you do shady shit like these guys did, it comes with automatically, bare minimum, you're going to spend five years in prison. Right. For falsification. That's bare minimum. That's yeah. first offense. Yeah. Are you going to violate? And I'm going to say no, and let me tell you why. <clears throat> it comes down to, they do this with truck drivers, mm-hmm. okay? Since I have a CDL, if I get a DUI in my personal vehicle, we're not talking a semi. Right. We're talking my personal vehicle. My license is suspended for one year, but the insurance companies won't touch me for three so that's three years that you can't work that I can't work in that industry. Right. That's first offense. Yeah. Second offense, I believe, is five years of a suspension. It's three or five years of a suspension. And this is just DUI. This isn't drugs, by the way. Right. We'll get to the drug thing in a, in a second. <clears throat> and then your third is a lifetime. Right. It's lifetime. If you get three with that, I think it's like a 10 year period or something like that. That's a lifetime suspended. With drugs, one time. Isn't it, yeah, isn't it lifetime once? If you get caught with drugs in a commercial vehicle. Right. One time. That is a lifetime. As far as I remember, because it's been a while since I've had to take this class, that's a lifetime suspension. So what that did by putting those in there is now people that have CDLs are, are hyper aware of it. Because they're held to a higher standard. We're held to a higher standard. Do you think that when I that, that I'm going to drive home if I'm at a venue playing a show and I'm drunk? Fuck no, because you want to know something? A couple things. Number one, an Uber ride home, even if they charge me 50 bucks, is way cheaper. Than, than that a, ticket, yeah. Than that ticket, my attorneys, and the money yeah. I'm going to lose. Way fucking cheaper. Mm-hmm. 
That's a number one. Yep. You know, um, not to mention loss of revenue from, you know, not working and, and everything like that. And a lot of drivers, not does that, did it, did it, you know, get rid of all the drinking and drugs and trucks? No. No. Even though we're, we're subjected to random drug tests and alcohol tests and things like that, it hasn't gotten rid of it. But I'll tell you what, it's cut it way the fuck down. Yeah. 100. Get caught drinking and driving in a semi once. I think the first time is 10 years. Right. Once. One time. One time. Illicit drugs. Like I said, even in your personal vehicle, if I get caught with cocaine in my pickup, uh, my license is getting suspended for a long fucking time. Yeah. And that's first offense. This isn't like, hey, this is your third offense and now we're going to fuck you. No. That's day fucking one. Yep. Because we're held to that higher standard because we're expected, hey, man, you drive for a living. You should know the laws and you need to hold yourself because if you're doing this in your personal vehicle, what are you doing in your uh, in, in, your, in, com- yeah, in it, your company vehicle? In the commercial, yeah. You know, and I don't think these people should because now when it comes to these dill holes, they are responsible for the safety and welfare of children. Yep. It's a very touchy subject. Very, as you so, can see. So, why aren't we holding them, them to a higher to standard? To that higher yep. fucking standard. Yep. Why are they allowed to walk free? Right. Even, oh, we're going to write you up or we're going to fire you. Right. That's bullshit. That well, should be your lifetime. Hey, man, you fucked up. You caused the death of a child. Guess what, Jackal? You can't work for a government agency ever again. Exactly. Fuck right off. All of them. Fuck Every all one of them. them. Every one of them. And let's also, I mean, I also want to point out here, too, because in the case of a domestic violence case, I know in Oregon for sure, I think it's in Washington as well, and I don't know about other states because I don't live in them, but I know specifically Oregon that now, especially in domestic, because of domestic violence cases, because women refuse to testify against their abusers, that a crime against a person is a crime against the state. Which yes. means the state can file charges whether the woman wants to testify or not. That's actually partially true. It's not that they have that option. They have to. Yeah. There has to be a report and charges filed. Right. If they show up and there is any indication at all. Okay, for example, like when I got my second domestic violence, which I didn't do shit. Is that the lamp? That's the lamp. She threw the lamp at me. My arm is shredded. But she called. I didn't call. She called. Right. So I got to go to jail over that. Yeah. It was me. And I didn't honestly do jack. Right. Because didn't they tell you they thought you did it yourself? Well, I think that you you did that yourself and shredded your own arm. No. (laughs) No. 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 I I can see in some alternate universe that might happen, but that's a big fucking no. Yeah. Morons! I swear to fucking yeah, God. Yeah. So you know there there is all that, and like I said, I know we cannot bring AJ back, and I just hope that by airing this episode and talking about the problem, that we have shed light on the problem, and something gets changed. Right. Right. And I'll, across I'll, the board, across all fifty states, and across the world, even. And I'm going to throw this out there, too. Like, seriously, if you're, if you're having problems and you're frustrated with your kids and shit like that, and if, if you need someone to talk to, dude, drop me an email. Like, for real, man. I'm not going to judge you. Nothing yeah. like that. I'm going to try to help you as much as I possibly can. My direct email 
is scott.alexander at twistedbluellc.com. I'll walk you through it, man. I'll try. Yeah. I'll, I'll get. I'll, I'll fucking. I'll talk to you because sometimes all you need is someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I've been there with, with with the kids with my kids where I've been so fucking frustrated. I thought to myself, I'm gonna kill these bastards. Yeah. I swear to fucking god. And I, Dad, leave me alone. I'm gonna go out to my back deck and I smoke like a whole pack of cigarettes and I'm sitting there <laughs> going, I swear to God, Lord, please, if there's a God listening, please give me the strength not to fucking. Take this kid and drop him off a bridge. I swear to God. <laughs> well, and I've talked about the time when I wanted to leave my kid at a rest stop. Not okay. going to lie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've all been there. And yeah. If you get that frustrated, like, seriously, drop me uh, drop me a line. I, yeah, Tammy monitors my emails for me, so even if I'm not at my desk, she calls me pretty goddamn quick. Yeah, I do. Pretty it's quick. like, hey, you need, to, you need to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. And I only monitor his emails because I know he doesn't check them regularly. <laughs> well, I do now. Every time yeah. I get home. Most of the time. I mean, sometimes I get home and I'm so fucking tired. I, I, I've fallen asleep right here at my desk. Right. And I will call you and say, hey, did you see this? Or, right. you know, or if it's dur- when I know you're at work, I'm like, hey, you received this. You need to hear it. So Right. No, totes. totes you know, so, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I totally do. And I just I just hope I hope we we could bring a voice to the problem. And I hope we did you know him proud and i know that he has lots of family still in that area um in fact i think one of them is a is a fan of ours on our <laughs> citizens of brutal Na- uh, not citizens but our brutal nation fan page and everything and i just hope beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know that you know our heart goes out to you and i couldn't imagine being in this situation and i wouldn't wish it upon anybody but I hope that we were able to, you know, bring him justice and be a voice for him. Right, right. I just, I can't imagine anything like that happening to any, I just, fucking my kids, man. I can't either. Because, I mean, I, I make fun of my kids all the time. I make fun of Jake. I oh, make fun of Cass. I make fun of my son. You make fun of my son. I make fun of your, I make fun of your son. Shit. <laughs> God damn it, man. I love my kids. Yeah. So fucking much. And I'm not, I, and I'll admit, man, I'm kind of a shit dad. I, yeah. I really am. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect, man. Right, and I, I admit I'm not a perfect mother, but I even know that my son's not your son, but you would you would freaking move heaven and earth to make sure he was safe. Oh, shit, yeah, man. You know, you love my kid. Fuck yes, I do. <laughs> Everybody loves nine him. Nine foot tall fucking Asian scares know, the shit right. out of me. You know me. what? Him and I were actually at an Asian market in Beaverton the other day, <laughs> and as after we checked out and everything, my son's walking out of the store. The, lady go, the checkout lady goes, is that your son? I go, yeah, and she goes... Oh, my goodness. And she, like, raised her arm above her head. She goes, he's tall. I go, I know. <laughs> Why are you Asian so big? Yeah, because he is obviously Asian. I mean, you can look at him and know he's part Asian. But, yeah. That must be something in water. That big <laughs> big. Don't throw Asian that big. What wrong well, with you? I, what wrong? <laughs> well, I told you in 2019 when we went out for my grandma's funeral in Iowa, as soon as my family saw my son, because some of them hadn't seen him since he was little, little, they go, oh, my God, what are you feeding him? I said, humans. <laughs> He's just eating other humans. No big deal. We feed him the neighbor children. That's why? Right. Why do you ask? You know, he's corn fed, corn and human fed. That's it. That's all. <laughs> but no, like I said, I just, I, my heart goes out to this entire family, the ones that weren't involved and the ones that probably tried to get help and couldn't. Right, right. And I also, if you do email me, y'all, for, for whatever, like, it's not just this. Like, anybody that needs help that just needs someone to talk to, dude, I'm fucking, I, 
I know that I sound like I'm a hard ass, okay? No. I know that. He's he's a big he's a teddy bear. I got a lot of fucking <laughs> compassion, man. He does. I've seen a lot of shit. I've seen a lot of bad shit in my life. And we've been through a lot of shit. Right. And I, I, I try to help out, I try to give back as much as I possibly can. Exactly. So seriously, man, if you've uh I'm gonna fuck, let's do a big PSA about this shit. If you're having problems with the kids and you see someone to talk to, email me, okay? If you're feeling depressed, because I am the king of depression. Oh, yeah. That's why I take the crazy pills. Email me, man. Like, fucking, yeah. let's, let's talk Even if you want to do self-harm, email. Yeah, just to e- email you me. Know, it's, it's cool, Reach man. out, because you know what? Even though we do true crime podcasting and everything, we're here for our communities. Like, uh, you know, okay. So, like, Squatchy Poo over here, she works for me uh, for a reason. She sits at her desk all day, for the most part. When I don't have her running all over fucking hell's creation trying to get me obscure things like penguin wings. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have not found those yet, but I yeah. I the flippers. <laughs> but um, like as soon as your email goes through, nine times out of ten, she's going to see it and yeah. she's going to fucking call me. And, yeah. and you know, we'll, we'll take care of her quick, man. Like, yeah. Seriously. And if he can't respond right away, he'll tell me what to say. He's yeah. done that before, honestly. Right, right. And I'm not going to air your dirty laundry on the no. air to anybody no. else. Man. What's, what, what gets said between you and I stays between you and I. Yeah, totes. You know, because, you know, we've talked about that because, you know, like I said, we talked to some of the the um, family and friends of the Portland victims. Right. And, you know, just to be there for them to have a sounding board. Just for to, somebody to talk to that's not going to tell them that they're crazy. We talked to serial killers and I haven't aired their oh, fucking shit. dirty laundry. No shit. We talked to some serial killers we never freaking talk about on the air. So. Right. You know, I, I know secrets about freaking some of these killers out there that I will that n- never. That nobody else knows. That nobody knows and I will not fucking release it because it was said in confidence. So if if I can do that with serial killers, I can do that with you. Okay. Exactly. Just I just want to try to help. We exactly. ready to wrap this motherfucker I'm, I'm up? I'm ready. Go. <coughs> well, after you cough up a lung. I've got to fucking take my allergy pills. My eyes are all watering over here. I think my butthole fell out. That happened a long time ago, but oh okay. Oh, my God. I fucking been anally violated. Oh, that was, that was yesterday. Never that, mind. <laughs> that's tomorrow. <laughs> and tomorrow. Ass missing fun days. <laughs> a little spit and determination. That's, that's all right. That's all you need. Remember, folks, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you happen to be getting your blogs. Oh, what else? Log on to Citizens of Brutal Nation on Facebook. Yeah. And Brutal Nation. Like us on there. Follow us on there, follow too, because there, we man. have some different shit on there sometimes. Go so. to our Instagram account. We, gotta, we have oh, a guy yeah. who manages that. We do. He's awesome. And whenever anybody needs a response, Bernie fucking sends me a message going, hey, I got this right. And this for the band page. She's like, I got this and this. How do I respond to that? And I yeah, he, he's done that to me, too. Or he'll, he will actually message me like in the middle of the night because doesn't he work nights? He works all the time. Like oh. he, he was working nights, and now right now he's been on vacation in California for a month. Right, but he um, will like text message me in the middle of the night saying, "Have you seen this?" I'm like, uh, "Yeah, dude. Thanks for waking me up." <laughs> Bernie's fucking awesome. He man. is. He's awesome. I love him. And Shout out, Bernie. And he's cute. He is adorable. <laughs> Oh, shits and fucks. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, when you get on the Citizens of Brutal Nation, go on over to our merch store. Buy some shirts. Buy something. Buy something. Jesus fucking Christ. Help a brother out. 
This show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. If you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, you know who you copy and bastards are. You know. Don't make us call you out. You're lying. <laughs> Thieving bastards. bastards. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.